Welcome to episode 140 of Destination Linux. This is a podcast of opinions made up of the four of the greatest minds ever talking about our passion for Linux. I'm Rob, and with me today are Michael, Noah, and Ryan. Excuse so me, Michael. <laughs> so, me. Michael, apart from your seven-hour stream, what mayhem have you gotten yourself into this week? Well, I've actually been doing quite a bit of stuff for the Destination Linux network. Uh, we're actually working on launching a new server thing that I will talk about later in the show. Uh, I'm actually, and I've did some upgrades to all, all the different elements of the site. I've actually made a new OBS scene. You're welcome. And uh, and I did do a, a seven hour live stream for uh, this week in Linux yesterday. Technically, the stream for the show was only about two and a half hours, and then for some reason, I just stayed streaming. Not really any particular reason. Just did. So did it end be... because you fell asleep, or no? It ended because I... I got to seven hours, and I was like, "That's enough. Let's go ahead and stop here." Yeah, at that point, <laughs> after seven hours, that was enough. But that was enough. Six yeah, and five and four and all of that. Sure, exactly. You know, if you sit for that long, you can actually get a blood clot in your leg and pass away. That's good to know. I didn't sit for that long. Okay. I had to take my dog out for a little bit, so I was actually gone for about five minutes in that period of time. So, hey. Okay, well. I was was being healthy about it. Uh, It would be interesting if you sent us your email, let us know if you were entertained for the full seven hours of Michael's stream if you watched it. Well, apparently someone in our uh, Patreon chat was there, so we'll ask them after the the show. That would be really cool. Awesome. Yeah. So, Noah, you never let us down. What have you been up to this week? I did a lot of stuff this week, a lot of it Linux-related. The full story will come out on Tuesday because I'm still in the process of putting it together. I have it feature complete even with pictures and stuff. It's pretty cool. So, basically, it was my son's birthday this week. He wanted something very Linux-specific, and it involved a mission, a Linux mission to deliver what he wanted. I did it, and I talked to him today, and he said it was... 99% 99% the best birthday of his entire life. Brought to you by... Hello? Destination Linux. Jesus. Linux. It was brought to you by Linux. That's what made his birthday special. So the entire story is coming on Sunday, but it was it was great. Very nice. That's awesome. Thank you very much. And Ryan, how has your week been? My week has been interesting. Lots of drama. My wife had surgery this week. She's fine, but everything was kind of surrounding all of that. And then as quickly as possible, making sure she's okay and getting back to Linux naturally. Um, So now I've been doing a lot of cybersecurity training still and learning lots of new things, doing the uh, LinkedIn training sessions, which is the, is it Lydia, Linda, whatever Linda, Linda, Linda Linda used to be uh, taking some of those courses and, you know, just uh, doing family stuff. So nothing too exciting this week. And Zeb, what's been going on with you? Not a lot, really. Um, Surprisingly enough. I had no Gen 2 work to do this week. Um, it's just working. I did an upgrade or an update um, and nothing too fancy happened. So, yeah, I've just been chilling out and working hard. Nice. I lost my laptop last week. I lost it. I hadn't used it for two and a half days and I lost it because I was using this stupid thing the entire time. So I was like, where's my laptop? I haven't seen it in two and a half days. Turned out I left it at the radio station. <laughs> so you did find it. Yeah. But okay. like, I was like, that's dude. Do you, you don't know what a massive life shift that since I was six years old, I've had a laptop attached to my hip everywhere I've ever gone. And right. for the first time in my adult life, I'm like, I haven't seen my laptop in over a day and I don't really care because it's all on this computer now. 
That's awesome. He said attached yeah. to his hip his entire life. You think on his wedding day he was going down the aisle you with j- the laptop open? You you go ahead and joke. It was <laughs> it was literally five feet away from the altar. And that's not a joke. No, I think he I was I think he was him. he was walking down the aisle and uh it was like going through SSH the entire time. Yeah. You guys make fun. I'll send you pictures. There above our wedding thing, the little thing where we actually got married, you can see the wire hanging out because my laptop was right next to us. <laughs> awesome this episode of destination linux is sponsored by digitalocean digitalocean offers the simplest most developer-friendly cloud platform it's optimized to make managing and scaling apps easy with an intuitive api multiple storage options integrated firewalls load balancers and much much more you get all this plus access to their world-class customer support for as low as five dollars per month or you can use their flexible pricing structure for as low as 0.7 cents per hour. That's darn near free, as Ryan is likely to say. Digital also also has 2,000 tutorials to help you stay up to date with the latest open source software, language, and frameworks. Get started on DigitalOcean for one month free with a $50 credit by going to do.co forward slash dl. Again, get started on DigitalOcean with that $50 credit by going to do.co forward slash DL. In the community feedback this week, we got a message from Gary. He says, hi, guys. First of all, I want to thank you for the great show and all that you do. Keep it up. And I bet managing a full-time gig, family, and on top of that, a top-notch show or shows might be quite a load. So thank you all for what all you do. Uh, my life is a little brighter and more informed because of it. So to my question... I am a network engineer for a large global company and a full Linux user. For my job, I need to manage hundreds of SSH and, yes, Telnet, not my fault, sessions. I use a proprietary piece of software called Secure CRT. Now, to accomplish this, and it's great, and it's, it is great, but I am looking for an, an alternative. What's important to me is to keep everything organized, manage both SSH and Telnet sessions, and be able to share the sessions between machines. I would love, uh, love to hear how you guys uh, manage and organize those these connections, and I bet Noah has to keep has to keep track of a ton of them anyway. So thanks for everything, Gary. You, oh, no. There's nothing that will match uh, the screen search. There's nothing that competes with that software. It's proprietary. It it, it sucks. I get it, but there's no, so just let's get that out of the way. If you're looking for something that is a drop-in feature, complete replacement. You're not going to find it. I've looked. And if you, if anybody comes across it, please tell me because we've been looking for it. Uh, that said, there are a lot of really creative ways you can solve the same problems. And the easiest, most cost-effective way to do that is by using USB serial adapters and Raspberry Pis. And what that allows you to do is every time we have a, a what we call a comm device or a serial device that either works through Telnet and that's obviously insecure and so we can't manage that on a network, the way we handle that is we take a Pi, we attach it to the back of, and sometimes it's a router that just has a console port, sometimes it's a, a, a network device that has Telnet and that exists on its own little Telnet VLAN and then the Pi's network connection is what's actually on the real network. We VPN into the real network, SSH into the Pi. Now we can use Minicom to control the thing. And you can have as many, uh, I've done it with, I think, up to four serial adapters on the on a Pi. And you can connect them out in, you know, COM1, COM2, COM3, COM4. And those are assigned to different devices that they're connected to. They also make something called a terminal controller, which is a very, like, $1,000 device that does what 
the Pi does. You SSH into it, but then you get uh, a little menu prompt. So you can push like control shift one will let you connect to a different COM port. Control shift two lets you do uh, those kind of things. If you have the budget for it, or if your client has the budget for it, that's the quote unquote professional way to go because with the Pis, they're cheap, they're inexpensive, they work. However, just expect to redo about one of them a year something is going to break on it and you're going to have to either reflash the memory or replace the Pi itself or whatever. But the power supplies have gotten a lot better. The Pis themselves have gotten a lot better. If you're using SanDisk or Lexar memory cards, we've almost eliminated those problems. So I consider them good enough that we have a client nine hours away. It's a massive inconvenience if anything ever goes wrong with it. And I trust that on a Pi and we've not had any issues. So that's how I go about attacking that problem. But if you're looking for, you know, the nice thing about the software that he's talking about, and I don't want to draw a lot of attention to it because it's proprietary and I don't think it works on Linux, but it is super nice that you can literally click on a device and it just instantly takes you into that device. It's, it's, it's a very, very cool, robust piece of software. So I was looking at alternatives and obviously I don't manage keys, you know, at the scale that you do, Noah, mm-hmm. but just sure. curious and, and looking at the alternatives out there that people recommend uh, out on the web the big one that I kept coming across was open SSH. Mm-hmm. And I, I guessing what you've come across based on what you're stating is that secure CRT has a lot of the controls for multiple things like the telenet sessions, along with the other pieces, SSH, whereas open SSH would be just SSH. If you go and I, I hate that we're talking so much about the software because there's undoubtedly somebody that's never heard of it and they're going to look at it and go, oh, this is really cool. And that's not my intention. But if you go to their site and look at the screenshots, you'll see what I'm talking about. It's not, it's far more than just like a little CLI thing that, I mean, it's a full on like management piece of software that you can use to, to, to manage your systems. And it has, you know, infographs and it's got all sorts of cool stuff that, that work really, really well for managing it. And I really wish there was that. Actually, they do have it for Linux, but it's not, you know. It's proprietary. It's proprietary. Yeah. So. Gotcha. Well, there you go. So it sounds like the software you're using might be the best bet. The alternative would be go the hardware route that you're yeah. talking about. Yep. Although I will tell you this. With the, with the thing about the hardware route that it does have over that piece of software, you don't ever have to update them per se. Like, you, I mean, you have to do like system updates, but there is no like, oh, I have to pay more money and I need to license it. On a, there's none of that crap, right? You just, you go from your terminal, any terminal, fresh install, SSH in, boom, you got access to all your stuff. So there's something there. You add the YubiKey on and now all of a sudden you don't have to worry about authentication anymore. Our second email this week uh, was from Dennis, and he kindly sent us in a video, and Dennis had this to say. Hi guys, it's uh, Dee Scheimer from Central Ohio, and uh, as a barely technical non-developer that just needs to get work done, I I listen to about a dozen different tech podcasts uh, all day, every day, that's what uh, my work allows me to do. Uh, You guys are right at the top, but I have a confession to make. I am not a distro hopper. I use Linux in teaching photogrammetry and GIS to students from middle school, college, uh, professional conferences. I do bookkeeping, audio and video editing at my church. I do image editing, uh, LiDAR processing for my job, and a lot of those things also in my free time just for the fun of it. Got about 20 friends and family from ages 3 to 75 that have been using stock Ubuntu for all or part of the time, uh, usually on uh, Lenovo T400 series laptops because 
Uh, they only cost about a hundred bucks used and they last forever but I am not a distro hopper. I have one install of Ubuntu 8.04 that has been cloned through half a dozen hard drive uh, upgrades at least five different laptop updates over the last 11 years and I've never done anything except click the uh, update button every six months. Interim releases move on with whatever the stock experience is. I love and appreciate every bit of work that goes into every single distro. I'm thrilled that there are so many choices but in the short time it takes for me to adapt to whatever going from whatever version of GNOME to Unity back to GNOME over the years I just get things done and plow along. I love the community aspects of Linux. Uh, appreciate what you guys are doing so keep up the uh, good work. Keep hopping, keep doing whatever you're doing but uh, for me and the, the people that I support uh, we're just gonna pick one and stick with it. Nice. So he goes on to finish saying sincere thanks for everything you do or everything you all do collectively and as individuals. Now, I don't know about you guys, but he's got PCs that started off on 8.4 and he's just upgraded them without fresh installs. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what's cool about this, and, and I think this is actually, a, he touches on an important point because there is, when I started in Linux and I started doing the videos, there were all these people who were constantly coming on my videos saying, because I started naturally with Ubuntu, oh, you know, you don't want to use Ubuntu or you got to try this other distro or whatever it was, you know, some, some, it was negative. Some, it was just, Oh, you got to try this other one. If you like Ubuntu or you got to try this different desktop. And so I was listening and I was bouncing everywhere. And honestly, I was learning a lot doing this distro hopping and learning all the different interfaces that, that that's out there and the choices and all of this. But there became a point where I had tried most, at least most uh, flavors, major flavors of Linux. And I realized that, I was spending most every single weekend not learning anymore, but just hopping just for the sake of it because I would get bored of some feature or whatever. And I wasn't really, I, I got to this point where I wasn't learning anymore. And I realized I need to settle with something that works for me and to stop this hopping. Now, that's not for everybody, but I love this, this example here because basically what he's saying is, hey, I found something that works. I don't want to spend every weekend changing out distros or just hunting for the next latest feature and I want to keep it. And we do talk about hopping and there's lots of jokes about hopping and things in the community out there. And it's fine to do that, obviously. Um, but it's also fine to find something you love and stick with it. And don't let other people, I think this is good advice for new people to Linux, if you find something you like, just stay there. There, There is no miracle <laughs> paradise out there where you're going to find a distro that has everything you want. At some point, you're compromising on something, and it's usually something small, but maybe it's you don't like the way certain things are laid out or you prefer this desktop, but the distro doesn't have it. Whatever it is, it's not really that important. The, th the important thing is that you can get the work you need to get done with that distro done, and that's the best approach for it. So I would say take pride in the fact that you've stuck with one distro through the whole time. And you know, if you want to ever check something out, there's always VMs and stuff you could play with as well, but there's no need to, and you have obviously done a fantastic job spreading Linux uh, through all the age groups in your family and they all find it, use it, love it. So you're doing something right. Yeah, that's actually true in the sense that I'm also not a hopper usually because uh, I only recently hopped because I changed my hardware. But prior to that, I had the same install for 
like four years or so and uh like three or four years anyway and it's just like it's the same thing about once you have it set up it's you don't really want to do it all again because there's so many things that you change especially if you have a setup that i use uh there's a lot of different things that require to changing and once you get it done you don't really repeat want to repeat that process so uh that's why i really didn't distro hop but it's it's interesting because when when he when i first watched that video and he said 804 i was like wait what and yeah yeah and it's like oh okay good you actually do you upgrade it you just use the same one that you <laughs> upgrade like okay that's fine then that, i was i was worried we, for a second can we point out that there are some major disadvantages to or there are some major advantages to nuking and paving like it sounds nice I when I bought my ThinkPad, I only used one distro. I never did reinstall the operating system. I used it and I got rid of the computer before I ever reinstalled. And there's something to that, right? Because I could never do that with Windows. I could never have a Windows installation for three years. It would probably peter out before that. Yeah. Um, the one that's on my desktop is going on seven years. And so that's cool to have that. But there are some major, major advantages to wiping your system clean and starting fresh. Yeah, you, know, you just get rid of garbage. And yeah. it gives you an opportunity to kind of reset stuff up. And there's all the time I have resets. I'll reset something up like this week. I, I reset something up on my son's laptop. And I noticed that the image viewer that that I like to use uh, has EXIF data on a panel on the right. And somehow at some point, I guess that got shut off on my machine. And I found that really useful. So I had to go figure out how to turn that back on. You'd never notice stuff like that unless mm -hmm. you're doing clean installs from time to time. That's true. And also if you have like something like I do where I have a very very heavily modified plasma setup when yeah. plasma installs or releases a new version there's sometimes where i don't notice things because they're not going to change your existing configs because that would be horrible if they were to do that right but they so that because they don't i i might miss some certain things so i have to pay attention to every time they make a new release in order to see what's new and there's a lot of people who aren't going to be you know paying attention that much to the system that they already have set up so there's also a benefit there to find out what's new and trying out the new features so our last email this week is from John, and he sent more of a funny email here, one to think about. If you all were to match your personalities on Destination Linux podcast to an original Ghostbuster, who is whom? And then he goes on to say Bill Murray starred as the group's leader, Peter Vinkman, while Dan Aykroyd portrayed Ray Stance, and Harold Ramis starred as Egon Spengler, and Ernie Hudson played Winston Zedemann. So I went ahead and looked these up and gave my rankings here. I would say I'm definitely Raymond because according to uh, the uh, wiki, he is, has childlike enthusiasm for his work. Um, Zeb would be Winston, uh, which is every man of the team and voice of reason and common sense. When I so accurate. This, right? And sense. Michael would be Egon, lack of social skills when dealing yep. with people and mm -hmm. creator of the equipment Yep. Uh, creator of the equipment for it, mm -hmm. which in Michael's case is the OBS scenes that he yep. creates every week. And then Noah, you're Bill Murray, blunt persona and laid back. You know, so I think that is how I would match the ghost. I think other than the whole social skills thing, I would say I agree. But that part, <laughs> you've <laughs> nailed it, Ryan. Good job. If you guys disagree, send us an email and let us know who you think we match up with as original Ghostbusters. Also, if you have another t group of four on a team that let us know, what do you think about that, too? <laughs> the Ninja Turtles. We have to do the Ninja Turtles. <laughs> so that's a Absolutely. good one. Next week, Ninja Absolutely. Turtle. Yeah. We were so excited to share with you the DLN launch last week. Uh, we can't thank the community enough for all of the incredible support. Um, it was overwhelming and definitely humbling. Make sure to check out destinationlinux.network to learn more about the network and be sure to join the discourse forum while you're there. 
So we want to keep the momentum going and we have some new ways to network and collaborate the community this week in the launch of our Mumble server. Find friends to gain, discuss the shows, Linux, open source, or whatever you like with the community using reliable voice chat. So head over to destinationlinux.network to join the Mumble community. Now, this was requested a lot from the community as soon as they found out about the network launching. Are you guys getting a Mumble server? When are you going to have a Mumble server? Where's the Mumble? It's coming. It's here. So up first in the news this week, we have the Linux kernel 5.3 has been released. This is the the stable release of 5.3, and there's a lot of new hardware support that's being added to this one. So there's going to be support for the Radeon uh, RX 5700 Navi series, the Intel Ice Lake Gen 11 GPU support, Intel HDR support, and Intel Speed Select, the the ACRN, or I want to call it Acorn, but not supposed to be that, whatever, get the guest hypervisor support has been added, the mainline driver for keyboard and trackpad support for Apple MacBook Pro laptops has been added, and there's going to be even more support for the future of the uh, the 5.4 with the Apple MacBook, so we're going to get better support for that for people who are switching and have made an, an, an accurate decision of purchasing a MacBook and then now decides to make the accurate decision of using Linux on it. So there uh, there's also native support, swap support for the F2FS file system and lots of other goodies packed into this release. So this is really interesting. We talked earlier about you know not needing to distro hop, and obviously in the the individual who wrote to us was talking about using a very specific older model of a laptop that he gives to his family, and he uses the same distro, and that works. But in the case where you actually are dealing with somebody, say you're moving somebody over who has one of the latest and greatest system builds out there, right? For instance, the Radeon RX 5700 GPU is a very popular mid-grade GPU now that people are purchasing. You're not going to have support with that if you're using just your standard ones. You're going to need to go into a rolling release that has the kernel out there now. So this would be a good example of even if you are set in your ways, but eventually you upgrade to some of the latest hardware out there, including the Intel GPU, because like AMD, they also release their stuff within the kernel. Um, you're going to want to have a distro that has the latest kernel in it. So OpenSUSE, Tumbleweed, an Arch, something along those lines, the, or a Solus that has rolling support would be what you would be looking for. Now, there was one temporary regression in this kernel release in the EXT4 commit. So the improvement for EXT4 I input-output patterns ended up causing issues in other areas. So the code itself wasn't buggy, but uh, as Linus says, it was so good that it caused regression in other APIs. Um, So they are temporarily uh, moving that commit back that sped up EXT4, but that should be coming out in the future releases for 5.4. Oracle this week has announced Autonomous Linux. Now, Larry Ellison, the co-founder of Oracle, announced Autonomous Linux. This is the world's first self-updating, self-patching Linux distribution for cloud computing. And of course, all of us here at Destination Linux couldn't possibly be happier that this is being headed up by a company with such a responsible track record like Oracle. Uh, It uses advanced (laughs) machine learning and autonomous capabilities to deliver unprecedented cost savings to security and availability. It also frees up critical IT resources to tackle more strategic initiatives. If there's anything that we associate Oracle with, it's causing less headaches in the IT infrastructure. That's corporate speak for it handles without human interference, i.e. they'll make decisions for you and you'll live with them. Uh, Ellison also discussed how uh, data breaches that have occurred in the past due to bad configuration and human errors would be mitigated by their systems. 
Uh, one simple rule to prevent data theft, put your data in an autonomous system where you have no control over. It makes perfect sense. No <laughs> human error, no data loss. That's the big difference between us and AWS because AWS is routinely I, I don't I, I, I can't I can't I can't even keep up the facade. This is so ridiculous. So, OK, <laughs> the good, let's start with the good news. The good side of this is that Oracle Linux is built from the sources of Red Hat Enterprise Linux. So we're starting with a good distribution code base. OK, the bad side of it is I feel like if if Red Hat Linux is if all you're doing is trying to create an infrastructure in which that you can self update things and bring packages and 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 provide you know you know essentially a data stream that is going to allow that distribution to stay up to date you don't really need an entire different distribution you just need a tool set on top of Red Hat Enterprise Linux and if that was or what was Oracle was doing and they just released a RHEL management system or Enterprise Linux management system I might be a little bit more excited about this. In the past, what we've noticed is Oracle routinely takes something that works okay, they suck it up, hint, hint, open office, hint, hint, unbreakable Linux that didn't run. I mean, two products that are made by Oracle wouldn't run on top of each other. I mean, that's how bad they are at this, right? Uh, and, and, they, and they break it. And so that is very frustrating for those of us that work in the IT infrastructure. And we look at this stuff day to day and go... Oracle, you are not the company to be doing this because you're not any good at it and you have a proven track history of not being good at it. So do I have high hopes for this? Would it be absolutely awesome if there was a Linux distribution that I could recommend to clients and say, listen, you can install this thing and you don't have to worry about updates. You don't have to worry about things breaking. Oracle is going to take care of you. Everything is going to go fine. They're just they're going to do all of the things that you would have to pay somebody like me to do, except now if you just buy this system, they're going to do it for you. I would love to tell them that. And you know what? There are companies that do that. And that's what we get with things, something like IX Systems and FreeNAS. You don't have to worry about FreeNAS yeah. and system updates and how ZFS works. And they have a an update system, a, an AB slot system. So if an update breaks, you just boot back to B and now you're back on, on, on B. And then when B is updated and it works right, it switches to A. And you can alternate between those two little update slots. So they've thought about that. That provides value to the end, in, in, end consumer. If that's what Oracle is doing, I'm 100% on board and supporting of this. I suspect it's a market share grab. People out there using Red Hat Linux. They should use our Linux instead. We don't have a Linux. Okay, let's make one. What should we do? We'll copy theirs. Well, how are we going to brand differentiate brand differentiate ourselves? Let's automate updates. That's what I read when I when I hear this story. Am I am I missing something? I don't think so. I, I wondered what the you know administrative community would think of this tool because anytime you're talking about uh, this kind of hands-off marketing approach it doesn't leave me feeling warm and gushy inside to think oh we're going to have this system that eventually may work really well for three six months heck maybe even a year that people are going to start to ignore because you've laid off half your staff because you no longer need it and then all of a sudden everything goes wrong and stuff stops working and now you don't have anybody to actually go in there and fix it and or right. people have been siphoning data from it the entire time because yep. you trusted you had this system that was autonomous and you didn't need hands and people actually look and you were it becomes a magic script yeah so yeah. I, I i don't know i don't i obviously haven't seen what they're doing here and uh or, or what specifically how they're going to uh implement this into a business but i i'm not thrilled with it the other thing is they took red hat enterprise but then all of their a lot of their talking was competing against ibm directly saying now you can stop paying ibm to support your systems and i'm like I don't think so. And then you have, instead of going after the two biggest cloud spaces, which is Google and AWS, which own 
almost all of the market, you're basically. And, and by the way, those markets, those people that are on there are very happy with those systems. So if the underlying AWS isn't secure, there's plenty of data breaches that happen. Well, there's data breaches that happen everywhere. By and large, people that put their data on AWS are fairly happy and we don't see, a, there's not a massive problem with it. Now, in fairness, a lot of those systems that get breached are the systems that aren't getting updated, which I would say, again, is a lack of, um, you know, the higher ups understanding the importance of hiring people to sit there and make sure updates happen and updates go through. And also the fear of if we update it, the system could go down and then we'll lose millions of dollars. So don't update it because we can't afford to take anything down and we don't want any time. So there's all kinds of issues here and an autonomous system to me just doesn't doesn't fix that problem, right? You can't just, apparently these updates can happen without rebooting and things like that. But to me, it just doesn't all add up to what they're selling it as. But hey, maybe we're, me and Noah are completely wrong and this is completely autonomous. And now we have, you know, the new Skynet and it will become self-aware and upgrade itself. The thing I've got that I don't like about this is I don't think there's a large company out there who hasn't suffered a data breach of some sort or another. So sure. Ellison, so he goes on to say, Ellison also discussed how data breaches that have occurred in the past due to bad configurations and human error would be mitigated by our systems. So is he saying that his team and his servers and his setup is better than every single other IT company out there? I know you've got a talk about yourself and big yourself up but come on let's get a grip if this configuration is bad from day one as i think you said ryan mm-hmm. it could be leaching data all day long you've got no one there to check it because you've been told it's automated and you don't need it staff <laughs> it's just techni techno gobbledygeek i think yeah. there's a possibility that a company could create something like this that would help reduce the amount of hours and staff that you need watching this type of stuff. I just don't think that company at the end of the day, personally don't believe that company will be Oracle that develops it. Yeah. And also it shouldn't be a distribution that they were doing developing. They'd be developing exactly. tools to sit on top. That's so right. Wait, yeah. So wait, you, that way you could use whatever distro you want and then get the benefits of having the upgrades. But that's right. uh, yeah, at the same time, when I hear Oracle's announce something new, I don't go, yay. I go, what do they oh, break God. this time? That's exactly, that's exactly right. <laughs> What new thing do we have to work around now? Yeah. So, <laughs> so uh, yeah. Uh, best of luck to Oracle, but uh, I'll pass on this one. <laughs> so the next piece of item, uh, or the next piece of news that we're going to discuss, and we're going to discuss it very briefly, is the Free Software Foundation is looking for a new president um, because Richard Stallman has resigned as president from the board of directors of the Free Software Foundation, as well as resigning from his position at MIT. Um, Now, while Stormer may have come out recently backing down from some of his positions, there was a long history of damage that is still (laughs) lingering. So we wish the Freedom Software, um, or the Free Software Foundation, um, the best of luck in bringing in a a new person to be the, the spokesperson for the foundation. And Richard Stormer, goodbye. So, you know, there's this company I don't like to talk about a lot, but every so often they make the news. And so I bring them back around. And Noah has been particularly harsh on me lately about my love for AMD. But this article specifically is going to bring Noah back around because we know that as much of I as my I may be a fanboy of AMD, Noah is a fanboy of Red Hat. And what if I were to have a story that combined them both? Well, I have one here. So AMD's new Epic server processor lines 
have now broken over 100 world records from floating point price per performance, performance and real world application use, such as SQL servers, Java, IoT, and many more world records out there. Their new Epic line is incredible, and they've created insane amount of partnerships with every major company. Pretty much you can name off the top of your head, including every single uh, you know, Google Stadia, the new game consoles, all of this is all coming from AMD now in their partnerships. Well, AMD and Red Hat decided that they were going to partner up here together and claim an additional 14 world records as a team. So using RHEL 7 and 8 and combining Red Hat's world-class engineering team with AMD's world-class team, they're able to push these Epic processors to benchmarks that have shattered every single previous record out there. On top of that, they announced new partnerships with IBM Cloud, Nokia, and OVH Cloud on top of this. But they weren't done because this is the new thing with AMD. They like to drop this thing like, hey, we just bust all these world records. And oh, by the way, here's another processor. So they just launched the Epic <laughs> uh, processor here, the 7H12, which is a 64-core, 128-thread, 280-watt uh, TDP Goliath with the 2.6 gigahertz uh, state and 3.3 gigahertz boost frequency. With the Bolsequina, which I do not know how you pronounce that, announced a supercomputer that's going to be based off these chips, providing 4.2 teraflops of performance. Holy purchase. Cow. So with this means, the partnership with Linux is very strong with AMD and cloud computing. And thanks to AMD's partnership with Red Hat, they're now doing faster and cheaper than ever before to get your systems lined up with these new AMD Epic lineups. This is pretty awesome news. Yeah. Yeah. And what they need to do is they need to put in a, a 36 inch widescreen monitor with that. Otherwise H top's going to have a fit. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, let me ask you this, Ryan, when you, when you see stuff like this, does it speak to you? When I hear a story like this, what it says to me is the entire PC industry is kind of restructuring around Linux right? They're looking at this and they're saying, where are people buying computers today? Not Microsoft Windows anymore. Now it's Azure. What's Azure run on? Linux. Okay. And what are individuals buying? And then they look over at Steam and Steam's investing all of this money and, and infrastructure into Linux gaming. And then they look over and they look at all of the, the nerdisms, the, the people that are building PCs and what are they going to? It's people like Das Geek that started on Windows and are moving over to the Linux side. And I just, I wonder if this doesn't speak to a larger movement of these hardware companies saying, hey, we need to look more seriously at this Linux thing because even though they represent a small portion of the desktop market share, A, they're growing, and B, every single time we put an effort into this arena, they take it and run. And all of a sudden, it blows up to a massive scale and we make a ton of money. Am I? Am I is my perception right on that? I think it's dead on. I, it, it's amazing to see these gigantic companies coming together, these Goliath companies coming together to produce things like this. And this is what I talk about in all seriousness with the fanboys joke aside is that I look for companies that innovate and Intel hopefully has some stuff in their pockets because I want them to innovate too and bring stuff to the market and people go, oh my gosh, and a whole new structure gets recreated around Intel architecture and then AMD has to compete. But we've always talked about, you and I know, the, the need for competition being there. And before, there really was none, right? It was Intel. You were going to buy an Intel. There's nothing wrong with Intel. They've supported open source. They've given tons to the code uh, of open source. They've actually supported open source fantastically. But having another player here in the hardware 
opens up a whole new market of potential partnerships and innovations. And let's face it, right now, the most innovative CPU out there for servers and desktop is the seven nanometer AMD, period. There's nothing in there that Intel has yet to compete with it from an innovation standpoint, not just from a speed standpoint. So I'm happy AMD's doing this and I hope this pushes Intel and I'm sure it is in the back office to go, okay, we've got to come out with something even cooler. But to your point, the greatest part of all of this is as they're developing these really cool things, they're not developing it to run super fast on Windows. They're developing it to run super fast on Linux. And mm -hmm. that's what makes it so cool. Yeah. Microsoft yeah. doesn't care about Windows anymore, it would appear. It appears that they're focused on Azure. It appears that their answer to people that say, why do you still have an operating system that updates itself randomly while I'm in the middle of work? Seven is going to be EOL at the end of the year, and we can't move to 10 because it's not reliable enough for industry. It only works for desktop PC use and, you know, on a machine that doesn't have to be on 24-7. And Microsoft, Microsoft's answer so far has been use Azure. And I, no. I guess I just really question if their heart is in it anymore in the desktop in the desktop space. I mean, it's and, definitely not because they even can't, they closed the windows department of Microsoft right? and just put right. all the people into different departments, departments to be like intermixing to like, you're still going to work. We're, we're not removing our focus on windows. We're just not going to be putting our pri priority windows. in windows. And it's like, yeah, right. that's what focus means. But it does seem like they're really, doing that. There's been some really good blogs out there recently of people, you know, having creating really solid cases for the fact that they think, you know, it's very possible in this world where we could see a Windows version, Windows 11 coming out and being based on Linux because Windows has had nothing but issues lately with their updates because they've removed their quality control teams and things that used to uh, do the quality checking and people were getting so frustrated and it, it doesn't make sense that Microsoft doesn't care. And so there, there is this hypothesis out there that you know, Windows, obviously, from the server side is focusing on Linux and very possibly may, from the desktop side, focus there as well. It would be interesting to see how the community would react to Windows 11 being based right. on Linux. All right. Let me, let me ask you point blank, okay? Microsoft release announces Windows 11. We look at it. It's an Ubuntu base. It has Plasma desktop. And it Naturally. is styled to look exactly like Windows 10. I mean, the, the window, the color, the schemes, everything is the same because Microsoft owns all those assets. They also have a compatibility layer that run, that executes PL code on Linux because there's nothing stopping that from happening. It's just the way that PL code is executed is controlled by Microsoft because they sort of invented it, right? So they have a transition layer they invented. It's like wine on steroids that, 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 that's backwards compatible with PL code. They, re, they retool the big things like the office suite and stuff like that to run natively on top of Linux, albeit it has some sort of DRM protection management on it. And you can go into Best Buy and buy a computer with quote unquote Windows 11. Would you buy it? And would you not wipe it off and just do something else? Would you leave all of the Microsoft? It's going to have Cortana. It's going to have all of the, the nasty Telemetry. things to spy on you. Yeah, right. But yeah, no. you can turn them off. And because it's Linux, you can dive into the package manager and physically remove it if you need to. I got to tell you, if I bought a computer and I knew it was going to be supported out of the box and all of that stuff and I didn't have to fight with it and I didn't have to worry about drivers and all my software would work because it's now a mainstream operating system, geez, man, I'd be sure tempted to at least keep one as a work computer. Well, mm -hmm. listen, uh, honestly, one of the biggest frustrations I have in, in, in Linux right now is the fact that uh, of, of how a lot of distros specifically handle hardware. I am a hardware guy. That's where my love and passion is and always will be. If there's a new Intel processor that releases next week, guess what? I'll be getting one and sticking it in the machine and testing it. The problem with Linux 
is that unless you're in NVIDIA, apparently, who they just, every of the main Linux distros just seem to bend over backwards to help. Unless you're in NVIDIA, NVIDIA they really don't care. They're like, well, you know, that new CPU that came out, uh, that Intel put into the latest kernel, we're not going we'll get around to, to it. We'll get around to it in six we'll months get to, to a year, yeah. and it will be in the kernel, and then you can use it then. So that's forced me basically to go to rolling distros. So now if you say, hey, Windows is going to release a distro out there, it's going to have the Linux kernel, it's going to have all the features of Linux, and it's going to run hardware because Windows probably would actually partner with the hardware manufacturers across the board and make sure that they, the they would uh, just tell them right? hardware worked right. Well, they're just going to tell them, Hey, right. here's, here's what we're using now. Get on board. You notice when they release 10, everybody, every industry in the world, this blows my mind. Every industry in the world goes, Oh, well we have to support that now, you know, like yep. they don't care. So everything's going to support Chrome because now edge is Chrome. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I, I really think that that would I would have a hard time not moving to it, and the telemetry situation would be difficult. But then again, I've learned security well enough that I could work around most telemetry pieces within Windows if I had to. So yeah, I think it would be as sad as it is to say it would be a major. It would be very difficult for me not to say I wouldn't go to it because I like hardware. That's I don't think it's hardware. sad at all. I think if that ever happens, and I think there's a reasonable chance it does at some point. If that ever happens, that just means that the fight is now over, right? Uh, Linux now the Linux one. Yeah, Linux has becomes the most predominant desktop on the market at that point. It's going to go from a less than 10% to 90%, and they're not that far off. If you look at it, the vast majority of the infrastructure Microsoft wants people to use is web stuff. My, my wife re-enrolled in school. She's taking a class this year. All of the stuff, and it's all a Microsoft-based school, right? One note. I mean, they discontinued that. But, like, all of the stuff is a subscription, essentially web service, with a local little running app thing. And it runs perfectly on Linux, I might add. So there's not that much. Wor- it's, it's a very, very small jump at this point for them to get there. And now, think about it. From Microsoft's standpoint, they don't have to worry about updating the operating system. That's handled by Canonical. They don't have to worry about security update. That's handled by somebody else. They don't have to worry about getting all of the other auxiliary software to work because the community is going to handle that. They can double down on their Microsoft loves Linux. Everything works there. They get the developers back because all those people that are running on a bunch of you better believe they're going to start buying Dell XPSs with Windows 11 on it. So they get that whole market back. They essentially stop Mac out overnight because there's really no reason to use Apple anymore if all of your software runs with the same reliability and security that you get on Linux. Like it's actually a legitimately decent business move for Microsoft. Yeah, and I would be shocked to get my prediction for the year out here uh, right now if Microsoft, when Canonical goes public, does not at some point in the next sure. years end up buying Canonical. Yeah, or at least make a, a significant offer. Yeah. So I actually think I would probably I, I, out of the things I would say that it's it's definitely something that's interesting if they were to do a Linux based system of Windows, I still wouldn't use it just because of all the other issues that Windows has because Microsoft has done things that are like yes they're they're doing certain things that are improvements but even if they were using like Linux as the back end I would be happy that they were doing it and I'd be less annoyed that um, you know that they said that they heart Linux that kind of thing. But really, fundamentally, it's more the sense that the telemetry would still, if that was still there, the if Cortana was still there, and all this other stuff that was still there, it would that those things would stop me from using it. Like, let me ask you a serious question, though, Michael. If they brought Paperclip back, would that change your mind? Clippy, if if Clippy is back, I'm in for sure. Okay. Good. The truth, is, I mean, here's the thing: we can joke about it, but here's the truth. The truth is, you know, we're going to get to this in the next story. But like, when Microsoft wants to know why people have 
have trouble with them. This is why, right? Because they do things like they include Cortana. I've never met a single human being on the face of the planet that's like, man, what an improvement. The voice assistant Cortana, a <laughs> hey, job, Microsoft. That Everybody makes a joke out of it, right? It's yeah. literally the Clippy of 2019. And Microsoft can't hear that. If they can't hear that message and go, we have a functionality that is literally just shy of a joke to people and everybody wants it gone, why you wouldn't remove that is perfect is a perfect example of why Microsoft is in the position that they're in. If you want people to take Windows seriously, listen to people. When people tell you, hey, I can't trust my computer because it reboots randomly to apply updates I didn't want, don't need, and don't want to apply right now, that's your problem, guys. Fix it. Yep. We've often said that change comes within a company. And the, the example that I have always used is if you want people, if you want Oracle to be a, a, a better company, then find more people like a couple of our friends that work at Oracle and convince them to go get jobs at places that aren't very Linux friendly. And so that ties right in with our last story about Microsoft. I would like to believe that we make a change here on Destination Linux. I would like to believe that in our individual shows, we are all making change and inspiring people to do more things with Linux and to become better advocates of the community. And we got an example of that this week, and we just kind of wanted to highlight it. There is an employee of Microsoft that listens to the show each week. He listened to what we were saying about Microsoft and what our continued approach has been, and it's right in line this week, right? And essentially, he came out and said, all right, I understand that I can't change a massive company like this overnight, but I want to know what things would Microsoft have to do to, to, to reverse this opinion that Microsoft is the enemy of Linux. And so this guy's name is Chris, Christopher Scott. And, uh, and so he made a tweet and he said, question or discussion, what will it take for you to begin to trust Microsoft? And he says, my personal mission is to understand where the mistrust lies and see if there's any way to change that, namely within the Linux community. So I would start by telling you uh, that the mistrust lies in that every time Microsoft makes a decision, it's a Windows first, Linux second decision. And the only time that we ever see a Linux first, Windows second decision is when it's an infrastructure, particularly a subscription service uh, system that relies on Windows. So the Linux parts that Microsoft does work on they work on it to make Windows more valuable, not to make Linux more valuable. So if you really want to value Linux, just change that perspective. Just flip it so that we're looking at what would benefit Linux and the Linux ecosystem and Linux users. And if you can find a way to tie that back to your bottom line and do those things first, so be it. But figure out if I'm sitting on a Linux desktop, what things can I do? What things can Microsoft do to make that a better experience? And so that rules out WSL on Linux or on Windows, that rules out SSH on Windows, that rules out Azure, that rules out a bunch of things that, that you guys are working on. Uh, some of the other responses that he got back on, on, um, on Twitter were remove tele telemetry, get rid of spying on people. Add Microsoft Office, OneNote, and, and maybe support the Surface running Linux. You know what the truth is? It would probably cost you less money to use integrated Intel uh, devices and, in, and, and, and synaptic touch devices and all of the standards. Put those in the Surface, and it will probably have a better experience both on Windows and Linux. Uh, you don't have to necessarily trash your product. You just have to start using more, you know, standardized hardware. Do something for the community that doesn't just benefit your bottom line. And I would tweak that to say, go ahead and focus on the stuff that does your bottom line, but start with a list of things that benefit the community first, and then look at which ones maybe where there's some overlap there and focus on those things first. 
You have an entire studio that produces games, none of which, to my knowledge, work on Linux, or at least not the ones that are designed for Microsoft. So maybe start looking at some of the games that are designed for Xbox Studios and see if you can get those to run on Linux. In fact, I'm, I, I be, might be as so bold to say you may consider looking at Linux being an operating system to run on your Xbox because what we've seen every time we've looked at it is that it's a more performant gaming platform. And that would be a great way to inspire some. If, you, if I could download the Xbox One app and download all of my Xbox games onto my PC, I would overnight become a Xbox game customer. I don't own a single Xbox game, but I sure would if they ran on Linux. Okay. There are a couple of people out there that just said, doesn't matter what you do, uh, you're not going to be able to fix it. And I don't believe that for a second. First of all, any change can be made in one generation or less because we just don't have that long of a, of a history. If it didn't affect you and your life, you don't care. Are people like me probably burned for life? Yeah, to a certain degree, because I've just had to struggle with you for so long and you've made my life such uh, you know, a, a terrible place to be when I'm working on your products that it's going to be very, very difficult, if possible, to get me over that hump. But I do recognize uh, where people are making effort. And that's, I think, what really what we as Destination Linux crew want to bring to your attention. It doesn't matter if you agree with this or disagree with it. It doesn't matter if Microsoft can do something or can't do something. The fact that Christopher Scott is willing to go out on Twitter in a public place where his employer can see him and say, hey, we're making a mistake. Clearly, we're not jiving with you. I don't understand why. If I don't understand why, I can't tell my bosses to understand why. And if we don't understand why, we can't be expected to change anything. So help us. Please give us guidance. How can we change this? Even if I don't believe it, even if I didn't believe it's possible, which I don't, by the way, even if I didn't believe it's possible, it is still valuable to provide that company with insight because they're asking for guidance. They want to change. They want to know what they have to do. So there's my list. Yep. Focus on sitting on a Linux desktop Figure out what things would benefit that user and, and make those changes. And if you can find a way to make money off of it, do it. If you can't find a way to make money off of it and you still want to do it, that will gain you. It's, you get like 10 times the points for doing that. Um, but either way, just do something to benefit those of us who sit on Linux and stop worrying about Windows. I promise you the payoff will be greater at the end. Yeah, I think there's some really interesting things that happened here. As someone who's grown up in corporate America, worked for a lot of these Fortune 500 companies, first of all, I have to give props where props are due. And I give props to the fact that, number one, Chris went out there and took this upon himself as an employee that doesn't work in this. He's not some marketing specialist for Microsoft. He's just a standard employee who went out there and decided, hey, I really want to try to fix this from within. I'm going to do it. Number two, though, I appreciate the fact that Microsoft has allowed it to continue because this post has gone viral. It Every time I open my Twitter, there are 30 or 40 retweets and discussions every time for the last week and a half of this post. So it is just exploded with people responding to it instead of Microsoft going, oh, crap, now we're going to take Chris out and put a professional PR person that we paid three million dollars to uh, to go handle this situation for us. They're allowed it. They're letting it roll. The good, the bad, the ugly, the comments that are on there, they're letting it roll. And Chris, who's not so trained, as far as I know, to be a marketing specialist is handling it with such class because there are people mm -hmm. up there saying nasty, mean, trolly things back. And he's just like, thank you for your feedback. Like he, yeah. he this is, this is what we mean by going into a company and changing it from within. Will yep. he be able to change the whole company? Maybe, maybe not, but certainly he's giving it a go and he's doing a heck of a job doing it. And honestly, it gave me a little more respect just that there, Microsoft allowing that to happen, an employee feeling empowered. That You know, the other part of it is, if you're one of the people that are giving him a hard time on Twitter because of the, 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 his company's past transgressions, then you're part of the problem. You're not part of the solution because there's always something a person can do or a company can do to better their relationship with the community. And if you think otherwise, 
then you're just looking for something to be upset about. Now, I did reach out to Chris and I asked him if he'd be interested in coming on the show. And so we probably will have him on the show in the future. He also is apparently doing a show with Jason Evangelo, Michael. He's going he's gonna to be interviewed on the Linux for Everyone podcast of the Destination Linux Network with Jason Evangelo. But the other thing we wanted to do to take this to the next level is we also asked Chris if because the tweets are going so crazy and there's so much going on now and Twitter is not the perfect place to capture everybody's responses, if he would be willing to go to our forums and set up this same idea and have everybody going to the forums to leave their feedback so it's something that could be collected and tallied. And he has agreed to do so. So if you head to the Destination Linux discourse, Chris is there on there setting up uh, on the forums to get your feedback on what Microsoft can do differently. And that information, of course, will be used in hopefully changing the culture of the company. The fact that a person who's not really a representative to the company to to change this thing, he's even said it out that he doesn't have the power to change it, but he wants to see if there's a way that he can do something in the company to put it on on the path to change. And the fact that the community is taking the opportunity to actually put their opinion out to a degree of becoming viral, even though they know that this person is upfront about how they can't, you know, guarantee anything's going to happen, that shows how much we're willing to listen. Because the, a lot of the times where people, you know, Microsoft would assume maybe that there's no chance that we'll believe you, and a person, and a certain people in the community will probably never change because they've been a part of this community for so long and know what you've said over the course of the, you know, entire existence of the company, and never can fully trust microsoft as a whole even 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 if they do change certain aspects they have to change everything to get the full trust back even if it is possible uh but the fact that they're there you can tell that the community is open-minded about it because yeah you've burned us in the past we're probably never going to forget all of the things that you've done but maybe there's a chance we for, we can forgive it and move on and i'd it, say there's a high likelihood of that if they do it legitimately, like you said, and actually just you know put the effort in that's necessary, then yeah. I Windows would Windows really 11, agree. man, I'm telling you, it's coming. Can I throw a side thing out there? How would you guys feel about like a Windows 11 Lite? Like, what if there was like Windows 10 L, and Windows 10 L was like Microsoft's Linux variant, and maybe they don't port a bunch of software, but it's an officially supported distro for developers that is like an Ubuntu base. And again, looks like Windows, acts like Windows, has a control panel, has my computers, has Samba mounts, has network drives, like the whole thing that you'd expect from Windows. But it's it's a Linux base, but it's not like the only product they have. It's just in addition to their Windows portfolio. What would you guys think about that? If it was an addition and they and they add support for you know running applications that they make and it yeah. wasn't just a distro, like, hey, we made a distro. And it's just like, right. you know, if they did that, and they didn't add the telemetry and garbage and stuff like that, I would be yeah. interested to at least try it and see yeah. if it's possible. Change that Ubuntu base to Arch and we're sold. <laughs> I'll smack you. <laughs> so you may recall my friend, my dear friend Zeb, challenged me <laughs> to review the game, The Great Geometric Multiverse Tour, which just by the name alone, you know this is going to be an incredible Absolutely. experience. With a total of six people in the entire world who actually took the time to review this game that was released back in August of 2018, I was completely pumped and to dig into this brightly colored geometric shooter with all these shape things that were running around. It's like a diamond but in the rough. It was. And I thought, my gosh, he's uncovered possibly one of the greatest games ever. 
So when I review games, I like to cover things like, if you've seen my official reviews on my channels, graphics, soundtrack, playability, and fun factor are four of the items that I like to cover in any game review I'm doing. And I'm telling you right now, all four categories, easy, 10 out of 10. It hits every single mark, possibly the greatest game ever released, Zeb, in the history of mankind. Microsoft Studios... Steam, you know, Valve games, all of the stuff they've done for Linux out the door when compared to this game here. Now, imagine for me, if you will, I could paint this picture. We all love geometry. And then you couple it with love of shooting things in games. And if that's not enough, add in your love for pineapples, watermelons, and cantaloupe-shaped enemies. And you have this fantastic game right here that everybody should download and play right now. And sure, the game right now, believe it or not, is only $4.99. This is the greatest undervaluation of a product in modern history. I would proudly have spent... What do you think a fair price for this game would be? $499? Easily. $499, uh, $550, $1,000. So this is a great deal then for people. If they want to get in, now's the time to get a hidden gem. For I mean, like, it's actually, it should be $499 per each each multiverse in this in this multi multiverse tour, obviously. Absolutely. I yeah. see. Uh, let me tell you some of the features. If you're like, I don't have, Ryan, $499. Come on, you're being crazy. Well, what about fast-paced, bullet-crazed arcade shooter, roguelike play style, because we've never seen that term before, uh, randomized pickups, for better or worse, uh, four game modes. So four game modes. That's like four it's like four games, games, really. So if you pay $499 for the game, it's really only like paying, I don't know what the division is, but it's like $100 oh, it's per game. Yeah, right, per game. That's good. Yeah. That's, that's not uh, much. It has increasing difficult combat. So if you get better, oh, it gets like better too because wow. it uses AI. It's AI-like technology built into the game. They didn't say that, they're but computing. that's what I think they're doing. Yeah, yeah, they're probably using the AMD Epic servers to run the AI oh, behind no. the game to create it. Uh, wow. You can blow yourself up to get out of tight situations. So it gives you, you know, really intelligent options to win, like blowing yourself up. There's over right. 20 cheats. Uh, and if they've got a thousand levels, so have you tried them all? Have you tried all twenty cheats? Uh, no, because so you can't I even get through all the cheats they have. There's so many of them. There's exactly. the game's so great. It's so vast and big. So Zeb tried to troll me, uh-huh. uh, but in fact, what he did is give me the greatest gem in gaming history, and I suggest everyone go out and buy it right now. Great, I bought. Thank it. you, Zeb. So, that's good. Well, that's that's all well and good, and we thank you for that, Ryan. Um, but it also just confirmed our fears. So we've reached out to your physician, begging him to increase your medicine dosage. And we hope that you'll be back to normal in time for next week's show. (laughs) That's ridiculous, Seth. I don't know why you'd say that after you just got done explaining the world's best game. I mean, of course, there's even finger guns in this game. Enough said. So the spotlight this week comes from the community, and Linux Maximus writes to us and says, Hi, Linux Maximus here. Great show, guys. Not one accepted. Uh, Said and Auk are great but I don't do enough scripting or terminal commands to spend the time learning how they work and just forget about regex uh, but I, or regular expressions, if you not know what that term means. But I need scripts that replaces one string with another string, so I just, I just love RPL. So here's the blurb. RPL is a text replacement utility. It will replace the strings with new strings in multiple text files. It can work recursively over directories and supports limiting the search to specific file suffixes. The syntax is really simple. Here's an example of replacing a string in a file. So you do RPL, and then you do quotes surrounding each of the new string and old string. So you just say RPL, quote, old string, quote, 
space, quote, new string, new string space, or, you know, quote, space, then the path to the file of that you're wanting to edit. And that is pretty simple. And I, I've actually, my personally, I've done things with said to do this and awk to do this. And it's a, little, it's a little bit more complicated to do those things, especially with the regex stuff. It is, he says, it's also as other options like dry run. So you can actually, you know, set up the thing that to, to run it without and seeing if what would happen without actually making a change to the files. And it also gives you the ability to back up the old files when you do the run. So you just run RPL dash dash help and you can get an easy overview of options. So it's a very cool little project for us to like that, like that terminal, uh, but not that much stuff to do. So uh, I agree. And uh, he says, great, great, show, great show, guys. More guests, please. And I actually think that uh, this, this is a really good suggestion. It's, it's, I haven't heard of this prior to this episode, so I'm probably going to be looking into this. Maybe I can replace yeah. set and awk with it. Just as long as you don't start replacing OBS scenes with other OPS scenes with the replace command. Yeah, please don't do that. We'll find out. Next week. (laughs) Next week. When we get a new scene. Our tip and trick this week is a software that is going to blow your mind. This is called USB Guard. And what USB Guard is, is a software framework that helps uh, limit what people can do with the USB interface on your Linux device. Now, traditionally speaking, anything you plug into USB, the computer just, if it's a drive, it mounts it. If it's a, if it's a hardware interface device, it just lets you use it, right? And so the downside to that, imagine if you're in a data center and somebody can just walk up and plug a keyboard in and start typing commands into your server. You'd like to prevent that. Well, USB Guard allows you to set a rule set of what USB devices can be used on which ports and in what situation. So for example, you might set up in such a way that I will allow any keyboard and any mouse on any port, but only one, and only one, only one keyboard and only one mouse. Or you might say, I don't want any sort of flash memory to ever be able to mount it. Or you might say, I don't want any networking devices to ever be allowed. And USB mm-hmm. Guard allows you to do that. So it's great to run on your laptop. It's great to run on work desktops. An absolutely really fantastic piece of open source software that allows you to really kind of lock down uh, this massive, in my opinion, massive security bug that is a universal interface that can literally attach any piece of hardware to any computer without your permission. Sounds good. Um, quick question. Would you, mm-hmm. would you be able to program it so that it would only accept USB keys that had been encrypted with a company-coded acceptable key type thing? Mm, You certainly could set it up to only accept USB devices with a certain name, but I don't know if it would do it based on encryption. We'd Mm -hmm. have to check. Their rules rules are pretty uh, open-ended. So you, I mean, if you can find a way, so I'll give you an example. If you can find a way using UDEV rules to identify a device that is encrypted, then the answer to your question is yes. I mm-hmm. haven't actually dug in to try to do that, but it uh, it's a fantastic piece of software. If you haven't heard of it, you'd absolutely need to go check it out. And you can find more at usbguard.github.io. Awesome. So a big thank you to each and every one of you for supporting us by watching or listening to Destination Linux. We love our patrons. So we just want to give a special shout out to all of you for your incredible support. We do a live show for patrons, so come join us if you want to be a part of the show. You can join for just one single dollar, and that's darn near free. And we also have a bunch of new tiers out there as well that provide additional perks on top of that. So go check those out at Patreon. 
Uh, speaking of support, if you'd like to become a part of the community, we invite you to do so by going to destinationlinux.network and joining our forums there. You could create a form to, I don't know, debate the pronunciation of coffee versus Kofi if you wanted to. And if you wanted to have that conversation in person, you could do it on our Mumble server. So network with all of the people around the world. Come chat with us. We probably won't be there because we're very important people, but we might. From time to time. But uh, yeah, I'll come. be there. No, we'll, yeah, well, I'll be Ryan there. will be there. But yeah, no, come check it out. Come, come hang out with us. Uh, come chat with us. Come learn with us. Uh, you can make new friends. You can contribute to the community. You can in- get involved with giving back. You can help us flesh out new show ideas and different things that we're going to cover on the show because we'd love you to be a part of the community. It's not a one-way communication street. We we want it to go both ways. But the only way we can do that is if you come and join. Can we make it? A, we make it very easy to do. If you don't have a lot of time and you're always on your phone, join us on Telegram. If you don't have yet, if you spend most of your time on your computer but you're a reading and typing kind of a person, join us on our on our discourse forum. If you are the kind of person that wants to speak because you're doing other projects, then join us on Mumble. Any different way that we can think to let you get involved, we have tried to put that up. And when I say we, I mean we make Michael do all the work. So try to take advantage of all the work that we have made him do and join us at one of those things. You can find a link to all of these resources at destinationlinux.network. That's destinationlinux.network. And by the way, our Telegram group you mentioned, we have crossed over 910 users now so we need 90 more and we're going to hit the thousand mark that's going to be huge so go check out the destination linux telegram group while you're there sounds fantastic so please get back to us uh, by the plethora of ideas that noah just gave you send your burning questions or ask your questions what is it you want us to talk about what are we doing good what are we doing bad you can send your emails to comments at destinationlinux.org. And as Noah said, we've got our Telegram group, our Discord, our Twitter, our Mastodon, and a whole host of other ways that Michael's set up for us at destinationlinux.org forward slash contact. So please keep those comments and questions coming. We love to read them, and we love to hear of ways we might be able to improve the show. And if you want more content, the fun doesn't stop here. We also have our own channels that you can check out. You can go to first, you can go to destinationlinux.network to get access to all things in one link. But if you want to go check out Ryan, you can go find him uh, where he'll, f- he'll fill your brains on hardware, software, and all things Linux at youtube.com slash dosgeek. You can check out Zeb's content at youtube.com slash zebedeeboss, where you can find him playing games for the U- Zebedee Gaming YouTube channel. And you also might find him doing a Gen 2 installation tutorial or something like that. And you can check out my content by going to tuxdigital.com, where I do an in-depth weekly show, a Linux Good News podcast called This Week in Linux, and other Linux-related seven content. hours of content you get in a single sitting, which but is incredible. That did happen once, and also prior, it happened again before that. But uh, that's not going to be a consistent thing, I'll just just say no. And also uh, go check out Noah's show at theasknoahshow.com, where he has a, a weekly talk radio show at 6 p.m. Central on Tuesdays. So you can join him and, answer, and ask all your questions for tech and business-related questions. And uh, also remember to uh, like that smash button and share the show on social media. Now, Noah, if I wanted to hang out with you while you're doing your show every single Tuesday and ask you questions and potentially put such an awesome comment in there that you would answer it in the live show where would i do that on ask noah show mm, the, the we'd prefer you call into the show and so there's a number of ways to do that you can call the phone numbers uh 855-450-6624 that's the phone number that's the way we prefer to get you on the air if you can't do that for whatever reason we also have a widget embedded into our website so you can go to asknoahshow.com click on the call into the show and it will use your uh your computer speakers and microphone to connect you back to our studio and then as a last resort you can join 
join us in the chat room at irc dot uh, at uh, freenode.net and join pound ask noah show and you can type questions but if i'm being honest i don't always keep a, a sharp eye on the chat room so i'd really really prefer you come in via phone nice so everybody have a great week and remember that the journey itself is just as important as a great geometric multiverse tour where we are positive ryan is still wandering about yes <laughs> shooting pineapples <laughs>